Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. As a family getting out of the cycle of meet him on Sunday and then go do life and then meet him on Sunday and go do life. And in this family, it's everyday life, right? Sometimes it is a lot of everyday life and we love it so much. Um, But they have gone before us in so many ways. Can I just say that the food that you're eating tonight, more than likely what you dove into is all natural. It's free of preservatives. It's free of colors. It's free of junk. And you know what it's doing for you? It's bringing a satisfaction that is going to last for a long time and it is changing your health. So can I just share about that just a little bit? One small area. Anybody know Little Debbie? Anybody met Little Debbie? Little Debbie. This family's like, who's Little Debbie? Who might, I don't know who Little Debbie is. (laughs) I was best friends with Little Debbie. And I remember, do you remember how many years ago? It's 20 years. It was not 20 years ago. It was like six, 12. (laughs) It doesn't matter. But what happened was I got to the point where I was always tired. I was tired of dealing with sickness day in, day out. My kids, always sick. My family, oh, we were always sick. We were always dealing with it. There was my birthday for probably 25 years of my life. I was sick literally every single birthday. Obviously, more to that. But when I stepped out, or maybe it was my husband who said she needs help, um, and, and exposed, like, hey, uh, little Debbie and I, like, we go for the two-for-one deal at the store, and then by the time I get home, there's just one left to show because I ate it all on the way home. And I stepped out in a place to say, okay, I can't, this is horrible, Something has to change. But I was watching a mother, my mother, my spiritual mother, go before me and and create a path. Like I said, carved with a spoon, she went before me and began to eat healthy. And I began to see her change. And her DNA, I mean, it changed. She is a different person today than the person that I met 20 years ago. And so because of that, then I get to follow. Then my children follow. And she's like, what's little Debbie? Like, they get a whole different thing. Now, that's not, just saying. Natural is what we have learned to eat in this family. Because going back to the original intent, and this is just one area. Now, take that in the spirit. The authentic is what we've been given in this family. In this family, what we are fed when we come together is the authentic. It's real. It's not like covered up with all this stuff and sugar-coated so that you want to eat it. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes when you take and you hear what is being released, it's like, this is breaking down everything in me that I was ever taught by my father, who I call religion, and it is going against everything I know. And that is how our family operates. And so um, tonight, do I, just interrupt me. This is our first time, so we don't really know how to like play off each other. You have something to say? Uh, so tonight we are honoring Nana and Padrino um, because, like, tonight's service, we're honoring the process and um, their, like, lifespan because um, I wouldn't be here, uh, 
Like, I seriously wouldn't be here. My parents wouldn't be here be, um, if they weren't, like, in, if they didn't follow what Yeshua told them. Um, and quite frankly, we all wouldn't be here because if they didn't listen to what Yahweh told them, that um, kingdom heirs wouldn't be here, and uh, we all wouldn't be here, and um, we wouldn't have a relationship with Yahweh, and we wouldn't know him in a deeper level. So tonight is um, just a service to honor the process and to, sorry, and to learn about their process. Yes. So tonight, I know I could just drop the mic right and go. She already covered it all. So we... As a family, we get to hear about it every now and then. We know a testimony here and there. But we have set a place of honor because we want to honor a process that has been walked through. The mother and the father of this home and of this region, of the northern Arizona region, they have walked through a process for their entire lives. Probably the most radically obedient people that I know were in the face of literally mockery and all adversity, they just stand and smile. And I'm like, teach me how to do that because I'm having a meltdown. And those kinds of things are what our family gets to obtain. And tonight, um, we've set a special place for them. I want to be able to just highlight this as a family. We all have our place. We all have our spot at the table. But we wanted to set a, a special place to just say thank you. It's a small act to show uh, just a, the, a, a small level of honor that we carry in our hearts for everything that you guys have done. Um, and as we begin to move forward, the things that, uh, that are going to begin to unfold as we encounter those who've gone before us, those who've gone before us, we are going to begin to encounter them and there is an honor that is coming. But the word that was released last week is if we can't honor what's been done in this home in the past five years, there's no way I'm going to be able to honor my forefathers of 2,000 years ago. So we get to practice as a family tonight of what that looks like. And one way that we can do that tonight is just to turn our attention and really just listen. We are Hebrew-minded in this family. Think back. Before there were cell phones, maybe even before TVs, maybe even before newspaper, how did you find out what happened in your family's history? It was spoken. You sat as a family. You asked questions. The kids knew to come to the table with questions because I want to know about my forefathers. I want to know what you've gone through. I want to know what you've faced. How did you do that? How did you get through those times? And so tonight, um, we are flipping our normal Q&A where typically we go over what's been released in, this, in the past month or six months or however long it would be. We open up for question and answer, and we have leaders in this home that I just want to honor because they are so transparent, they're willing to get up and share. Have you ever sat under leadership that's like, I'm perfect, I got it all together, and that's why I lead you? At one point, I was trying to be that leader. And then I had a mother show me, you know what's going to lead best is if you come in and you don't know everything and you are falling apart and you're able to share that because that's what's going to bring transformation. And that's what's going to get to those deep-rooted things. So tonight, we get to sit and hear about some of the things that they've walked through. Some questions have been put together by our elders. Um, tonight, we'll also take some questions from, from the crowd. 
But when we come together as, as Hebrews, we come to the table to learn about our heritage, to learn where we've come from. And in this family, where we come from is a mother and a father who have pushed through a process. They have been pressed. There was at one point we just knew Tanya Brewer, Justin Brewer, and they wrestled and they were pressed. And in the wrestling, she became sister and he became brother. And then there was more wrestling and Yahweh was like, I've got more for you. And there was a a struggle and a wrestle in that. And then the name released over them was mother and father. And so right now we just want to honor you guys. You can come up here and Nana and Padrino. And how awesome is that? Which I hear grandchildren are way better than the children. Mom's always like, you can't contact me, but your children can. And I'm like, um, ask Nana um, how I'm supposed to do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, um, so tonight, one of the, the cool things as a family that I want to make sure to highlight that we get to, um, we get to do tonight is so this season uh, that our apostles, our mother and father are walking through is a season of healing. It's been spoken over them that in this time, they have permission to heal. And in this family, we know when we need healing or we need to walk through something or there's some junk going on in our marriage or some junk inside of me, I'm trying to get my eating right, I'm trying to get my mind right, that you can go to them and you can just put it all out there, right? And they are they're welcoming of the mess. They're never afraid of the mess, but they're never going to let us stay there, right? So they've walked through those things with us, and they've allowed us to, to just have a meltdown. And in that, I, I want to be able to just grant permission that, like, tonight, if you need to have a meltdown, let's go for it. Because we are a family that has practiced being safe. Shirley's, like, cheering you on. Meltdown. Meltdown. But, but we're a family where it's safe to be able to share where you're at, share the process that you've been in, and we honor what you guys have gone through, and we do not take it lightly. And I, tonight, I know that this is setting a tone moving forward, that where we may have been ignorant or numb or thinking like, well, my process has been dealt with, so everything's good. Let's move on that tonight we give you permission to be able to heal right here with us. That if you need to share something or release or like we take that, we hold that with the highest regards. And we don't take it lightly that you would be leaders that would be so transparent and so vulnerable and that you would share the realness and that raw stuff that goes on. And so we thank you for even positioning yourselves. Really, what leader puts themselves in a position to say, ask me anything you want? And I'm going to tell you the truth about it. I'm not just going to tell you what the Bible says, but I'm going to tell you what happened in my life and how I walked with Yahweh. So we honor you guys for that. And as a family, I want you to take this as your opportunity to dive deeper into relationship with those that were given to us, to lead the way, and to just take the opportunity to allow their experiences to affect you and that you would take those things that they released tonight and not hold them like, who cares? Because whatever it might be, honestly, I don't even know what all the questions are. I'm sure some will be light and fun, and some may be pretty heavy, but we are excited to hear about you. We're excited to learn, and we honor you for all that you have walked through for our family, for my family, for us, and we love you guys.
Man, this is uh, <clears throat> it's like super humbling and kind of challenging and exciting at the same time. And I just wanted to say, uh, we'll see how we get into this, but I just was thinking about it as they were talking how appropriate it is. Um, and I wanted to share that one of the one of the things that kind of revolutionized our walk with Yahweh early on was Yahweh had told us, you know who I am, but you don't know how I am. And so that was one of the things that really shaped our walk with him early on. It was like, we know who you are to whatever degree, but we want to know how you are. It's like when I asked my dad, dad, who was your great grandfather? Oh, his name was so-and-so. This was my great-grandfather. If I ask him, how was he? What kind of man was he? Then we'll sit down and have a conversation. Right? It's different if Sean asked me, who is Bubba's dad? Well, Bubba's dad was Jesse Brewer the third, or the second, and that answers that question. So now Sean knows who he is. But if he says, how was he? What kind of man was he? How did he get to the place that he got to in his life? And I just thought it was important to, to say that, just realizing and the Lord's like ministering to me because for us, this is, a, this is, we've walked in a habit of not putting these things out there for very specific reasons. And so this is kind of out of habit. Um, but the Lord was even ministering to me just now saying, this is an opportunity for the family to not just know who, who we are, but how we are and how did we get to this place. Yeah. I always think it's important if you remember when we were talking about um, the book of James and yeah. the dynamics in the book of James and how important it was just in his introduction he said not just who he was, you know James wrote the book, but how he was as he was ministering. And that the character of who's giving a word or a message is just as important. And so um, I'm getting kind of excited and kind of fired up about being able to say how we've walked, not just to stand before you and say, you know, this is who we are. Amen. It's, uh, it was pretty amazing because we have, for the, I, Missy covered it, for those that have not been here before, once a month we do this where we believe that families are saved at the dinner table. That a lot of the root issues that we deal with as a culture is because families don't talk anymore. Families don't come together anymore. We don't eat together. We don't dive into the real. It's a three songs, an announcement, five-point sermon, take your notes, go home, figure it out. Don't contact me unless you want to pay more for some counseling and, uh, and then keep moving on. But to do life with one another, it's messy. And uh, so these nights are always so amazing because I feel like we kind of get like a grid of where we've been. We have questions that ask what's been going on so we can kind of see. We like to know where our family is at doesn't make sense to have a dinner table discussion, and I'm talking about things over here. If all of my kids are like, I am not where you are, I'm, I'm way over here. So these nights kind of help us kind of get like a, a grid of, where, of where, where we're at. What's interesting is every single time we have a Q&A, we don't get that many questions. 
Sometimes I don't know if the questions don't come because we already know all the information. Did we just teach really well? Are we intimidated? Do we just not know where to start? How do we, you know, if you just start dinner and say, hey, what, you know, what questions do you have? It's kind of like, do I want to be the one that places this on the map? <laughs> so uh, it's interesting. We just don't get that many questions. Tonight, we got like two pages when it shifted and we were told that not, we're not just going to ask questions about what you've taught on, but if we're going to dive into heritage, then let's actually dive into our heritage. Because sometimes we'll talk about things and there are people that don't even know, they don't even know three years ago. So sometimes it's just good to have those times where you're able to, so anyways, it was fascinating to me because the word that came from his mouth that Yahweh said was, uh, what, that was last week, right? Yes. Kind of sum up the word that came out last week after Ellen and... Uh, I can't even remember what I said last week. Does anybody <laughs> want to sum up day. what the word was? What? Declaration. Oh. You watched the father of the house... Yes, you watch the father of the house basically say, there, we would not have adopted a broken home if it was us not being a bondservant or a slave to Yahweh. And I think that that hit a lot of us and recognized, how did we even get here? Because there's, there's been um, several accusations, there's been several opinions, there's been a several assumptions of how someone gets to this place, but very, very little time do you have an opportunity to say, I only am here because I was obedient to Yahweh because Yahweh had you on his heart, period, because that was not our choice or our want or our desire. And I don't mean that to be, I'm just saying that's how much he loves you. <laughs> and so when he got passionate as a father to say something like that, it made me realize that sometimes I don't know if we understand what this new declaration of dependence is going to be. The shift that's happening in our family as we begin to learn heritage, if, if you can see what's happening is we're shifting into honoring heritage, which means knowing our true roots, right? Missy said a bold statement, we're not a church, we're a family. How did we get here? How did we get to family? What does the scripture say? What does that mean? Why mom and dad? Why family? Why not Sunday morning? Why Friday? Why? What is going on here? What is happening with these people? And so there's this, uh, there's this uh, powerful thing that begins to happen when you realize that we, ultimately this is what happened. We broke away from religion, okay? So religion says you have to look a certain way, you need to be a certain way, I want you to clock in, clock out, be pretty, but I, do, I want distance. It's about rules and regulations, and it's about interpretation of those rules and regulations, but keep your distance, it's not personal, go home, show up on Sunday, and that's about it, right? So there's a lot that comes with being fathered by religion. We broke away from religion, and we got free, Right? I mean, freedom of, I'm not oppressed anymore. I'm, this is what it tastes to be in a real relationship. And, and while there was great freedom and great joy, there was great restriction. It was like, if you want me, get on your face. You want me, you can't have your comfort zone. You want me, then stop hiding behind the three songs of worship. 
I want you to really know me. And you're hiding behind worship. You're making it look like you know me in public. But then you go home and I'm like, who is that girl? And all of a sudden it's like everything gets stripped down. So it's been great. It's been free. We've been stripped. But we're free. What happened last week is what Yahweh has been doing is what he's saying is, is that you broke away from religion to have your independence only so that you can become dependent on me and me alone. You are not free, especially under the title of grace, to just do whatever you want and to not be attached to a real family or to not be attached to the kingdom or not to be attached to Yahweh. So a lot of times what happens is you break away from freedom and you're like, I am a son and I can do whatever I want. No, you are a son, and so it is time to grow up, and there is going to be rules and regulations, and all of a sudden, this feels like where I've been, but it's the authentic and not the unauthentic. So the word that came out last week was about how do we become dependent on him through Mockery, adversity, the world, religion, church. How do you get loud in your testimony when you say, I am a bondservant to Yahweh, when people are like, what is Yahweh? Right? When you are like, his name is Yeshua, and you're like, how am I supposed to get loud about a process with his name when nobody knows that that's his name? You're not just trying to break free from religion. Now you're trying to overturn a whole culture and trying to say, this is what's real. This is, what's with, this is what is authentic. And we've talked about this before, but anything that is authentic will automatically scandalize what is not. So it is immediately offensive. And so there's... so. Basically, what I believe happened last week was a word came out about heritage and came out about how to become a bondservant. And now we have an opportunity to ask Q&A, what does that look like in real life to be a bondservant? So the questions that came forth is, what does it look like to whatever that is? And those are the questions that we want to answer to the best of our ability of how did we get to a place because we were obedient to his voice and his voice alone? Because ultimately, it was only his voice that we could follow. Because if we followed the culture or we followed man or we followed church, we would just be like everything else out there. And yet he had told us to be set apart. That set us on a path that keeps opening and opening and opening and opening before us what that really means. Meaning we didn't know when it was like, he's real. And we broke away from religion. We were like, yes. What did you just do? What is happening? And so, um, so, we're, so anyway, so tonight will be a lot of being able to answer uh, some of those things, okay? And I don't know if, um, I don't know if I should just read off some of these questions to get us started or if you guys want to ask some of the questions and we can get going. Because some of this is going to be how did we get here and some of the questions are personal to our testimony. And I don't know necessarily where to start. Anybody have an opinion? Just read it. Okay. Did you have something you wanted to say first? No? Well, okay, let me start off with just something. Before I read. Can I put this in the middle? I feel like I'm claustrophobic. Um, I also want to do something else because they're so pretty and nobody can see them. Um, I want to say something because I, there are things that I've released that I think everyone knows. And then I forget that people don't know certain things. So I'm just going to like 
wham, bam, right off the top. Because this happened to happen with our son, Derek and Sally. We were on a Vox and I don't know why. I think it was because we were talking about Porsches. And so they end up finding out that they both have this like love for GT3S2, GT3RS turbocharged Porsche. <laughs> Anyways. Yes, there was a ton of Porsches that show up at the gas station. He takes a picture. He sends it to us. Just relationship, right? He's just sending us pictures of Porsches. And so all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, have you guys heard the story about what dad had to do with his friends when we made a decision to wait to have sex until we were married? And they were like, no, I've never heard about this. And so it was a cool opportunity to be able to explain our past. And Derek was like, that is so good. I'm going to use that with my kids. And so in that moment, I realized there are stories about us that we just go, go, go. And we don't realize some of the things that we've been through as a young couple and through that adversity and how we did it. And if I could just say something, uh, just really quick, just to honor my husband, uh, it would be, uh, trying to think how to say this. The word atrocious is what's coming to me. If I have sons at the dinner table that do not take time to take heed to a man that knows how to be a husband and father, it would be to your detriment. There, you have access to one who will not only raise you in the ways of the kingdom, but will, uh, will give practical application about how to be a manly man who has emotion Right? I mean, there's, just, there's so many dynamics. I mean, one of, the, one of the biggest things in our home is my husband will tell my sons, in this house, we talk. I don't know how many times he has to tell our son, in this house, we talk. He has to grab them. In this house, we talk. In this house, we talk. And so there are things that it would be, it would be to our detriment if we didn't glean from, how did you raise your babies? I'm just talking about culture shock. In religion, can I go there? Men work, wives do everything else. When you get home from work, it's break time. I will make your plate, I will cut your food, I take care of the kids, you, you pop your, I don't know what, I don't know what guys did. But it was crazy. I am single, he's in law enforcement, I've got a baby on my hip, another one here, no joke. I'd walk to the door and there'd be a man in front of me and he'd just walk through the door. I mean, this man comes to the side of my car, not when we're on a date. We're at the grocery store. He comes to the side of my car and will open my car door for me to get into the car. There are things that this culture is losing that we are not going to, we, it would be to our detriment if we did not take heed to some of the things that I'm going to talk about. So, poor story. You guys ready? Okay. So dad and I, we get together, and obviously we're, we're 20, how old? I don't know. We're young, and we're in college, and 19, 20, and we both, he has a strong relationship with, uh, with Yahweh, and he has made a decision to wait until marriage to be intimate, and I had always had that in my heart. Well, you go to ASU, you go to U of A, you go to NAU, you're in college, and he's got some buddies that start dogging on him. I mean, for me, it was kind of like, I was kind of looked up 
to for that. I didn't really struggle a whole lot with that. In fact, I was kind of, uh, anyway, that doesn't matter. I was honored for that. People were like intrigued by that on my end. For him, he had some friends that just dogged on him. And what would come out of their mouths are, how can you, how can you not test that out? Why would you commit for the rest of your life and not want to test that out? You have to do that before you get married. So they're talking about having to test me out because I might not be worth it if like I surprise him or something. (laughs) So anyways, but that was their mindset. So he totally, he totally says to them, you're absolutely right. You want to go to a used car lot, you better test out that car. But I will get a GTR3 Porsche. You go in and say, give me that, and you, drive, you just drive it off, the, you, right? So he totally nails them by being able to explain to them, yes, if you go to a used car lot, I would totally test it out. But when you're getting a Porsche, you just, you just obtain the keys. I am your dad's Porsche. <laughs> but they, both of his friends were t- t- touche, right? So there's a mindset in that. But this is a 19-year-old man following after Yahweh's heart that was able to express kingdom principles in such a manner that just shut the mouths of that uh, affliction of a decision that is made. And so when I was able to uh, share that with Derek, he was like, that's so awesome. I get to give that to Zeke. And Sally's like, Ananiah, you know? And so something to be really proud of is to stand firm on our convictions. So did you want to add to anything about that story? No, it was just, uh, it was totally Holy Spirit because my friends were always super witty and uh, they were giving me a really hard time about it. And uh, I just told them, you know, you don't need to test drive a Porsche you already know. So tell them that what a Porsche is that you already you, knew I was. Luxury, high performance, reliability. <laughs> if you get a used Toyota Camry with 200,000 miles, you don't know what kind of problems, you know? <laughs> I came with a guarantee. <laughs> Warranty. Yeah. What warranty? There you go. <laughs> so, so I mean, but there's some things to glean from, you know, as a young couple who are just, you know, following uh, Yahweh, that that type of integrity and the way to uh, confront that. So, By the way, if you go to a Porsche dealership, because I tried this, if you go and say, can I test drive that, they're going to say, no, you're... You're not going to test drive this $200,000 car. Mm-hmm. You're either going to buy it or you're going to go somewhere else. Come on. Um, so it also speaks to the, the knowledge of the value or the self-worth that, you know, she had. So. And what honor. Let's think about this. His friends had an opportunity. He could have, dude, it's what she wants. He could have totally dishonored and just played it up with his friends and played both sides. But he brought glory to the home in that moment. And it was a respect thing that their friends almost then flipped and was like, you lucky. 
<laughs> versus the way that they were uh, talking beforehand. So anyways, that's what I want tonight to be about. Is that, a, is that a blessing, some stories like that? All right, well, here's the first question. What was the hardest thing about marrying Flagstaff, and how did you get through that? Well, I guess that same story. <laughs> Just kidding. Do you want to answer that? Uh, yeah, so that's an interesting question because when we moved here, Tanya was already here in college at NAU. When I decided to move here, it was as a result of Yahweh saying, because when I got saved, I was saved but not plugged in anywhere. I was not connected anywhere. Um, and she was up here going to what this ministry is but used to be Grace Fellowship. And so I would come up on the weekends and visit and stuff. I lived in Tucson. And Joe, the pastor at the time, would say, when are you going to move up here? And I was like, man, I'm never. I will never. Because I'd come visit her. It would always be cold. All I saw was NAU. You know, I didn't know any other part of Flagstaff. And he would tell me all the time, and I would say, I will never live in Flagstaff. Like, did, yeah, don't First. ever say that. <laughs> First insight. It did work out. Worked out well. <laughs> Don't ever say never. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, at some point, Yahweh told me, if you're going to grow together, if you guys, because we were engaged at the time, then you need to grow spiritually together. You need to be together. So I had to go tell my parents as a 19-year-old that I was going to switch colleges again. I had already switched college once. I had switched from ASU to U of A. And I was telling them that I was going to now switch to NAU. And the reason why was because God said, we have to be close. We have to grow together. And at the time, my parents were like, that wasn't, it didn't make any sense to them. And so, uh, you know, at the time, I wasn't thinking of it in terms of marrying Flagstaff. But sometimes your obedience, you don't have to understand what Yahweh is telling you. Right. Sometimes we tell our kids, I may tell my children to do something and I don't want to hear them ask me why. I want them to say, yes, dad, mm -hmm. and do what I'm telling them to do because I know what's in store for them. Mm -hmm. They may not need to know why. And so at the time, the reason why we're even in Flagstaff to begin with, uh, because we both had plans to move to the East Coast. We were going to do all kinds of other stuff. And um God knew what he had in store and what he was calling us to. And so um, at that point, it wasn't about marrying Flagstaff. It was about marrying her, and that's why we're in Flagstaff. Uh, but at the time, when the time came to marry the land, so to speak, I don't know, what was that, six, five, six years ago? I don't know. Uh, but God kind of put us in this little, he put a boundary around Flagstaff and says, you're not leaving. Um, and so at that point, it is what it is, and we're committed because he said so. Um, yeah, I think ultimately it comes down to his voice. I would say that marrying Flagstaff did happen at that time because our dreams were, even though he was going to come to Flagstaff and we were going to grow spiritually together, the plan was still, I had plans. And I was going to be a periodontist. I was going on to dental school. He was going to be in business. We would, uh, ultimately, I'd be in dental school in D.C. That was my plan. And uh, shortly towards graduation, uh, ultimately what happened was we had gotten married. We were living on family, uh, family campus housing. Is that how you say it? Family housing campus? And anyways, 
We were living on campus. We're married. He's working part-time for construction, making about seven, eight dollars an hour. I'm in college. We don't have anything to our name except for being in love. And he decides to fast. He goes on a three-day fast. He always says, go on a fast. And he hears immediately after three days of fasting, he comes home and says, get off birth control. You're supposed to have a baby. The moment that happens, my parents were super excited about that. It's <laughs> making eight bucks an hour. Her parents were really excited about it too. Yes. Uh, yes. I was graduating. He said, get off birth control. You are going to have what we now have is Jalen. And in that Jaylen's moment. the result of that. See, Yahweh if we speaking. were disobedient. Come on, if we were disobedient to Yahweh's voice for my own pleasure. So, in that moment, I believe that that is when we married Flagstaff because we weren't going anywhere. He said, you're going to stay in Flagstaff and you are to raise babies. And that was like not what was supposed to happen in my plan. I was going to be a periodontist. Just so you guys know, my dreams was he was going to be a stay-at-home dad. And I was going to be a periodontist and he was going to make me my lunches and iron my scrubs. He's a great ironer, <laughs> and he knows how to pack a good lunch. So our plans were that, and then the moment he said, you're supposed to have a baby, immediately we heard, you're going to be staying in Flagstaff, and you are going to stop school in the sense you're going to be a hygienist, and everything began to shift for us, and our entire lives flipped upside down in that, in that time, because in that moment, there was having to reconcile his voice over our desires. It would have been so easy to say what his voice was, was what, what we wanted. And we had to discern what our voice was, what our thoughts were, what our desires were versus what he was saying. And I will say in those times, the only thing that we knew was him fasting. So if you're not living a lifestyle of prayer and fasting, if you're not hearing his voice, then I suggest getting into a routine of praying and fasting to kill that flesh and get that soul to just quiet down to be able to hear his voice. Because it's in those times when he speaks that the most radical things will come forward and you know that it's not from you. And so we started that process and ended up getting pregnant and then everything basically changed for our lives from that point forward. So I believe that that is when we decided to marry Flagstaff. And did that answer that question? How did we get through that? A lot of crying. I will say this, though. It is easy to get through stuff when you are confident in his voice. The moment he changes your heart, you fall in love very fast. There wasn't this, oh, but I really wanted to own a dental school. It wasn't, it was, it was immediate. This is what he has. Peace comes and you just begin to flow and you begin to follow. And, um, and so how you get through that is you cling to him. That's that being, I am a slave to him and you are connected to him and you are connected to one another who is connected uh, with him. And that's, that's how you get through that. I'm just curious. Has anybody ever thought like, if you look at us or think about us that we just aspired to be ministers? As in, I'm just curious, like, if anybody... We're all family. They thought, all know we did not want to be here. This is kidding. You know, because most of the time you start down a track to, to, 
you know, be a minister or a pastor or whatever? I'm just curious. Yeah. I'm like trying to decide if I want to get into that about the whole law enforcement thing. Because <laughs> he, he's talking about what you aspire to. There were some things that happened when we were uh, engaged, or I should say before we were engaged. I had, well, first of all, I'm sure you guys all know, if you knew me back then, I have been radically delivered of self-righteousness. <laughs> so I knew better. I knew what we were supposed to do and how we were supposed to do it, which is why I had all the plans, and that was just the way it was going to be. And I told him that I would not marry him if he was in law enforcement. So he was not supposed to be in law enforcement at all. And I... I was going to pack lunches and... Iron my scrubs. And then Yahweh completely flips the scripts when, uh, script when he says to get pregnant. He says that you're going to be a hygienist, you're going to stay in Flagstaff, and that is when he did make the shift up here to go into criminal justice. So when I say being obedient to him, I am saying I am talking about strong desires. Like that's not just I didn't want him to be a cop. That I, I, that was an, there were things that I had ultimatums, wrong, right, or indifferent, that I was not willing to budge, that I said, I cannot do this. I will not be a law enforcement wife. I will not be in, an, in a mixed marriage where the things that we struggled with, I mean, there were people when we were up here, they said he was the only black guy around like we're already in a mixed relationship I mean some of the things that we have struggled with in our lives is dealing with just that within our families I had grandparents tell us I will not uh I will not acknowledge you and I will go to your wedding but if you have kids I will not acknowledge your kids uh and they still will deal with that up to up to today there are things that we've struggled with as an interracial couple then coming up here and then saying flagstaff is not where you want to be if you are in a mixed marriage at that time it just wasn't I mean we were thought we were going to be in a city and so anyways there were a lot of things that when you say that you have a desire or you say I want it this way he will grab your life flip you upside down not because he doesn't want you to have what you want but he wants you submitted he wants you under him. He wants you to be his slave, not your own slave. I was my own slave to operate in those type of ultimatums because then what was happening was, was I was trying to create something that I was ultimately scared of. And Yahweh had something better for our family to be able to confront that, that now you are looking at a wife that is 13 years of a law enforcement wife that never once struggled with fear ever, even though I was alone, raised my kids alone, and slept alone at night for 13 years. 13 years, slept alone, sent him to work. Every single time he went to work, I knew I am sending you into possibly your death. I've got home, you are gonna be sent. I went from, you're gonna iron my scrubs, I'm gonna be a dentist, <laughs> To, I will send you into law enforcement while I raise five kids by myself, sleeping alone, and never once struggled with fear. Never once, because God said. Because the moment that he said that, that he said law enforcement was what he had had for him, I knew Yahweh has this. God has this. And so there was peace. And when I say peace, I am not a, a wife that would just say, keep it out there. He was alone, 
because he did not have law enforcement to be able to lean on because they didn't have the same kind of camaraderie in, in the sense of being kingdom. Let me say it this way. And well, okay, I'm just gonna say. <laughs> Church, religion or not, was, a, was important to us, okay? Our community was important to us and there was no if, ands, or buts about it. So today, fast forward 15 years later, we have people that we're in relationship with that are like, I don't, I don't really, I don't really need to come. The way that we were was he would work swing shifts, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday night, starting at five o'clock. He'd get off at three, come home, sleep two hours, get up, get the whole family ready because we were at church on Sunday morning. Then he would take a two-hour nap and then he'd go back to work. That was our lifestyle and we never missed it because it's what was important to us. So when I say things like that, it's because Yahweh said, but there was, um, there was peace through that. So when he was in, what, what I'm trying to get at is that when he was in law enforcement, he didn't have anyone to be able to talk to. So I wasn't just, hey, I'm going to send you off and I'm going to stay home. I was his safe place to tell me the things that he saw for his own healing. So I'm a wife. I've got five little kids at home. I'm trying to raise them. And he's telling me about gunshots, knife stabs, people cut in half from the train station. I mean, the things that he had to talk about are things that he needed to express. So I had to be a safe place for him to express these things. And we were upholding a community going to church. Fast forward 10 years later, we are one of the main pillars in the church to keep everybody at the church. We're hosting uh, Growing Kids God's Way. We're doing uh, financial counseling. We're like all up in people's business. We're all up in everyone else's messes. Our marriage is blowing up. Pornography comes out. Miscarriages happen. And we're like, yay, Yeshua. I mean, at that time, it was like Jesus. I mean, only because God said. So when he's up here all passionate, like I wouldn't have adopted a broken home if it wasn't for what he said. Part of what I want us to remember is that tenacity to do what he said, not now, but through our whole lives. Because this was hard, but so was that. And so will the next, not hard, but so will what's to come. But it's because he says that you're able to get through that. Amen? I just want to add something that was just coming to my memory because I think when we think of walking the narrow road, mm-hmm. I think another, another good way to say that is that in your daily life, you will have opportunity after opportunity to sell out on your convictions. If we don't even have convictions, you'll just be all over the place. But mm-hmm. if you have convictions, you will have opportunity after opportunity to sell out yourself. And one of the things that was amazing for me early on, this goes back to the Porsche, right? <laughs> the way I viewed her was she, she was this, a certain type of woman. And on top of that, Yeshua said, she's your wife. And so when we made this known to our family and stuff, there were some family members that said, if you, if you tell your grandparents that he's African-American, we will all lose out on the inheritance. Mm-hmm. 
And it was a lot. And so she's being faced with this. She's being, this decision is being imposed upon her. You you now have to pick between the man you're engaged to and not just you losing your inheritance, but the entire family losing the inheritance over it. And she said, I don't need it then. When we, see in, when we say inheritance, we're talking about finances. Because we talk about inheritance a lot. But yeah, literal millions of dollars and family members saying, we're going to lose out on it if you do this. And that was an opportunity to sell out, right, on a conviction. Oh, man. She didn't even, she didn't even hesitate. She said, then I don't want it then. Come on. Right? When Yahweh tells you something or he gives you a conviction, the enemy is going to present all kinds of opportunities to sell out. Right? And, and when we look back, when we think about this, because we, like, we don't sit at home and talk about these things. So now that we're talking about it, it's like there has been opportunity after opportunity, even recently, to sell out on our convictions. And uh, I, I, I don't, the only thing I can attribute it to early on was that got radically saved, saw Yeshua's face, had a divine encounter. Life was immediately flipped upside down, changed. And then he immediately started telling me things. You, he, he, he showed me who she was. He said, if you're going to grow close, you need to move to Flagstaff. Go off birth control. It was like in succession, in relationship, he was giving me things that I needed to do. And so there was never, if, you, if, you're, if you've gone a long time without Yeshua telling you something, mm-hmm. you yeah. can settle into a place to where you feel like you, you know better. Mm-hmm. 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 And so after being saved at 19, it was like immediate. I remember getting saved, getting in my car to drive home. I got saved in my friend's big brother's room. And as soon as I got in my car to drive home because I was wrecked, we were watching a game or something. That didn't matter. As soon as I got in the car, he said, take all your rap CDs and throw them out the window. I'm driving down the road, just freaking <laughs> throwing them out the window. Immediately mm-hmm. got saved. Father started speaking to me yeah. immediately. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, thinking about that, I, I want to just share that story because I want us to understand when you're facing adversity when somebody asks you to choose, so it was t- we had a long engagement. So the plan was I was going to hand out engagement pictures, and that's when I was confronted. Do not send certain people your picture. I don't want them to see him. And the family members that he told me I was so close with that I was shocked that I didn't understand what was happening because that was not my experience. But I was being told, no, you don't know them. And this will happen. And the entire family will lose out on a lot. Now, the choice that I had was not a lot of money at the time. Yeah, you know, I was raking in. I was raking in eight bucks an hour. I was killing it, man. But I want to be real. That it's not like I had a secure, some people are like, I was so obedient to Yahweh. That's because you had a security blanket because it wasn't a hard choice. Whereas what I was, what I was, I was 
I don't. Okay. Hey, I was in college. I, I mean, what? well, he was in college, but this is a real thing because I didn't even know if he was going to graduate because there were follow-through issues. He had switched schools three times. I didn't know what was happening. Now he's telling me he wants law enforcement. He was in business. He's all over the place. Who is this guy? And Yahweh says he's the one. And I tell my daddy, my daddy, who is successful and has lots of money, and he raised me, and he's secure, and, and I got this. Fix everything. He can fix everything. He's I brilliant. Can't fix anything. And I, I just, I have this face and Yahweh's voice. I had a, I had a face and Yahweh's voice. And I knew that we were, I knew that he was my best friend. And so, and that's it. And then you get confronted with something like that. And so in that moment, I had to make a decision for my legacy. Stop. I had to make a decision for my legacy that we were going to be transparent in that moment. In that moment, I will not live a lifestyle of hiding. Now, I did not know I was going to be called a mother to many. I didn't even know if I was going to have children. And I made a decision back then. I will not hide. I am not going to let an authority figure tell me what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do for their benefit. Come on. I fast forward to religion. I will not let a man tell me what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do or what restaurant I'm going to own or what restaurant I'm not going to own because it is convenient to them because I'm not going to hide. And this is what Yahweh said. So powerful testimony. I call my family member that I was concerned that I, that I was, that they told me was going to have a problem. And it was a powerful uh, a powerful moment. It was my grandmother, and I was able to call her on the phone, and it wasn't, I didn't send her a picture. I confronted it head on. I didn't say, well, I'm just going to send a picture, and I just hope this goes away. I called her right then and there, said, here, th- here I've, I've, I've met, I've met my, whatever I, I've met my husband, but I've got something to tell you, grandma. <laughs> He's not white. And in that moment, I didn't care about money. I cared about my relationship with her. And I was scared that I was going to find out what I, what I was told. She says, honey, does he have an education? Sorry. He will. <laughs> <laughs> We're working on that. They were very, very successful. And he, that mattered to her. I care about him being able to take care of you. And does he love you? Yes. Then it doesn't matter. She called my parents two hours later. And she goes, I did all this research about the Cape Verde Islands. Did you know that they were on the slave trade? And she's just all excited about his culture. And that's how our relationship starts. And that is making a decision to say, I am not going to hide. I'm going to be bold about what Yahweh said. And what came from that was absolute restoration and, of course, the inheritance. I got both. You know, it's funny on the flip side. 
on the flip side, right, with my family who's very tight-knit and close, <laughs> and they, you know, they, I would talk to them about her, and then, then we would go out there together, and they'd be like, who's this little white girl? <laughs> right? They'd be watching her like, who's this little white girl? And I don't know if they said little back then, but still. <laughs> well, you know, it goes both ways. All right? Nobody has a, nobody has a, a corner market on judgment like that. Right? So I remember sitting down with my godmother, who was the matriarch at the time, still the matriarch of the family. And when the rest of the family was kind of questioning because she's a white girl, my godmother sat down and said, well, how do you know you love her? And I said, because we sat down on a date and she ordered a full rack of ribs and she ate the entire rack of ribs, okay? Like I said, I don't think I was a little white girl. (laughs) The reason why I said that, I did love her for that. It's not, the reason why I expressed it that way to my godmother was because I knew in in that culture Right, women are the glory. Women are completely honored, and for a woman to be able to eat—if I had said we went on a date and she had a salad and some croutons, she would have been like, "No, uh, uh-uh. right." She but when I told her that, this family. <laughs> when I told her that, she she set the whole family straight. Yes. It was like, "No, she's good. She's good." She and set the whole family straight because it was who's this white girl. For sure. And then they started to get to know me at the wedding because then all of a sudden I remember his mom being like, she can dance? I'm like, I, I'm telling you. I know I look white, but... So there was definitely... More opportunities a, to sell out, right? <laughs> Everywhere. On each other. Mm-hmm. From the gate. Okay. Next question. I don't know why we went down that road. <laughs> but isn't that powerful? Your heritage, even in the last 10 years, is that you have a family that will not hide, that will be transparent and bold about what Yahweh says, even if it means I lose everything. Amen? Okay. Um, During the hard times, how did you keep going without a family to surround you? What was your mindset and why would you do what's right when at times nothing seemed to be in the right for you? Probably the same answer Yahweh said. I think that that question is stemming from because of when we grew up, we were called to Flagstaff, but there wasn't a community. We had a community, we had a home group, and so we had connection the once a week, but it wasn't every day. It wasn't when pornography hits. It isn't when you miscarry. It, it wasn't when, um, when you have to call your grandma. You know what I mean? It was, there wasn't anyone to, we didn't have that kind of community to work those things out. I think that that's where that, that question is coming from. And so just to always for us as a family to remember that we are afforded community to be able to go through those hard things together that you don't have to endure those things alone. I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, I think uh, part of that was being able to see 
perspective is so important. So I think in that, part of what we saw was an opportunity to step into a gap, to create mm. something that wasn't there. Mm. And I think a lot of times, you know, just as people in general, even as followers of Yahweh, you might be looking for something. If you don't see it, you move on when really Yahweh might be putting you in a position where there isn't something and he's wanting you to spark something. Hmm. And so I think for us, we saw a lot of opportunity where maybe other people would have said, well, there's no, there's nothing here for me or you know, there's no community here or looking for something to already be established when sometimes he wants, he's putting you in that position because he wants to establish something, but establish you as well. Mm. And so, you know, Katie alluded to it earlier when we started, but this, the, the culture of kingdom heirs and what Yahweh's doing, he established that through a lot of things, but one of those things was us being obedient to his voice. And I think, um, you know, and that's not, that's not us taking credit for this. Yahweh has done this, but he uses people to establish things. And if we had just said, you know, Flagstaff's not the place, it doesn't have what we want, and we just moved on to the next place, then we would have missed out on what Yahweh had for us in it. So That's good, filling the gap. Because it's it, because when you when you see that you're craving something, then be the thing that you crave. How many times did we hear that when you're in a community and you're like, well, it, there's not. I, I shopped around and it's not what I wanted, so I went over here. Versus if it's not what you want, then be what what it is that he wants in that. And so ultimately, there was not community. The next question is, is how did you know family was the answer? Well, ultimately, it just came in our hearts that we felt that we had a passion for ministry in relationship to all things personal. So all things marriage, all things kids, all things food. I think it was you guys that said it. We want to touch the things nobody wants to touch. We want to touch yeah, finances. Food. We want to touch food. Money, and we want to touch your kids. Sex. Raising kids. Okay, there's more. All the things that you shouldn't be telling people about. <laughs> But there were things that people, you went to church and you got your sermon, but you didn't necessarily know how to raise your children. Or you got a sermon, but you didn't know how to overcome addiction. Or you got a sermon, but you didn't know how to eat. Or you, or you had health issues. Or you had a sermon, and so then you would be looking for the next time they would have a healing revival meeting. Because then maybe I would be touched for healing. And then, you know, I mean, you know, we've even had those where we had revival meetings where it's like, you guys want to lose weight? And, and you, you know, and that is amazing. But then what happens when they leave and that healing touches you? You have to partner with that healing and walk out that healing on earth. And he has an answer. And so it's the same, it's the same thing. There, there are times where you're going to be healed because he touched you and your leg will grow out. Or there's going to be times where you're going to have to walk out a process and your leg will grow out. So... Again, being, find the gap and then be it. And so for us as family, the answer for, we just felt that there was a passion for things that are never talked about. The things that nobody ever touched on were the things that we wanted to dive into. So our 
spot was to build that community. That's why I talk about within law enforcement, we were going on, uh, on Sundays, but then we didn't just go on Sunday and then leave. We wanted community. So we hosted home groups and then we had financial. Th- I mean, we were, try- we were doing whatever we could to be that change, to be able to touch on those things. And through the course of the years, a community began to build that said yes to the, to the exact same things. I think another, and this was a blessing, I fully believe law enforcement has had all of uh, all the good, the bad, and the ugly that was with that has totally equipped us for what Yahweh has us doing now. And it's kind of funny in a way I would, I would sometimes I would joke that I would say it was more dangerous, like <laughs> it's more dangerous in the church community than it was on the street. Sometimes I would joke about that. It wasn't but, a joke. But uh, we only had, well, never mind. There was only one time we were threatened on the streets that we had to leave town. In the church, we were threatened and we had to leave town several times. <laughs> we never, okay. Well, well okay, never, I get what you're saying. We um, didn't leave and stay. So <laughs> part of going back to perspective, I think we would, we were trying to connect what was being taught on Sunday that we felt was so important that we would never miss and how to appropriate those things to take things that you could say, these are the things Yahweh wants me to appropriate in my life. And for us, we had a life and death perspective, an urgency perspective, because I would get off a shift at three, four, five in the morning and be at service a few hours later. And I just left the hospital or you know, talking to the medical examiner or doing a uh, death notification because some 19-year-old kid shot himself because his girlfriend broke up with him. And I'm watching him die. And then you go to service in the morning, right? And we're preaching about whatever, uh, you know, I don't even know. Uh, you know, just you, I would have that urgency and I would talk to her about it and we would come and be like, man, there's probably somebody in here struggling with something where the enemy could just snatch them. Mm-hmm. You just lie to them at the right moment mm-hmm. and they can make a decision they can never take back. And we had that kind of urgency with everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Still, that's why I yell and spit and get all fired up because you don't know You Mm -hmm. don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't walk in here taking it for granted because I don't know who's struggling with what in here. And I just know if my father says, you come in here and you get after it or you speak this Mm -hmm. or you say that, I don't know why he's saying it. Mm -hmm. Right? Or when we talk about we're not playing games. We've just, we're serious, intense people, right? God says something, we just go for the jugular. Like, we just (laughs) go after it. Right? Like, if he says, "There's there's a weed manifesting of something we're gonna we're gonna come with a with a backhoe and dig we're gonna get it we're gonna get it right burn it dig it (laughs) so we i want to i want to say right it was a it was a it was a benefit it was an advantage to have that type of lifestyle because like she said she didn't even know if i was going to come home in the morning so even if we were mad at each other or we mm-hmm. had an argument or I was being a, a, you know, a whatever, a jerk or whatever, she would still send me every night because that was important because we had that type of urgency. Just like the word says, we don't have tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It says your life is but a vapor, right? 
We, that's why, that's why we hug and kiss. We don't, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. This family could be vastly different tomorrow because life gets cut short. And so that, that's part of the reason too, why we are quick to, um, just walk in a way that, that we want to address issues immediately, right? We don't have time. We don't, especially when you look at the trajectory of what Yahweh is saying and when he starts showing you vision and where you're trying to go and shepherding people and there's things at stake, we don't have time, right? Our sons and daughters know, right, Jacob? <laughs> Dude, we don't have time, bro. Get it together, right? And I've had those. I've been on the other end of that. We've been on the other end of that, right? But we had the blessing of this type of perspective where I got to see the worst of the worst day in and day out. And also got to see how powerful Yahweh was and how I was, how I was used in some of those situations. And that carried over a few hours later to a Sunday service. So when I'd be in there with two hours of sleep, somebody just shot himself, a 19-year-old. Somebody just lost their son because his girlfriend broke up with him. And I would come into a service. We would come into a service and people would be looking at their watch, yawning, not paying attention. I would just want to shake people and mm-hmm. yell in their face, mm-hmm. right? Like, you don't, you don't understand, right? And it's kind of not fair because I think if everybody was, had that same experience, right, maybe we would, all, we would all be the same. But we're not all the same, and I'm not, it's not, I'm not saying that that's a fair expectation. But that's where our urgency and our intensity would come from. With everything, everything. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about raising kids and we're, we're teaching uh, growing kids God's way and instilling godly principles and raising your kids up in the way they should go, I encountered lots of parents that weren't raised up in the way they should go, not raising their kids in the way they should go, and the detriment and the damage and the destruction that it caused. Mm-hmm. So we could be at growing kids God's way talking about, you know, first-time obedience, that expectation of your children, and we would be dead serious about that, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because we're just thinking of, we're carrying this whole, mm-hmm. this whole perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, and when, you mo- when he started off that whole thing with the church is not as, how did you say it? Is more dangerous than the streets. So even though law enforcement we also then jumped into community where the same things were happening spiritually. People are jumping in front of trains. Marriages are blowing up. It's the same thing. So you come in with that intensity, and it would be hard because that's why you would have a father or a man weeping at the altar and on his face, and you had everyone else, a lot of people just like, I, what are we doing here? And so there was that aspect of that. It, it didn't stop with law enforcement is what I'm saying. The tena- like to be able to be tenacious for the, those things. When we're the type of people that jump in crises, the crises that we've jumped in are not different out on the streets than they are in church. A lot of people think there's no sin here or we're pretty here or because it's church, we're good. And it's like, no, some of the gang members that he would work with were more polite than the people that we've dealt with in the body. 
More respect would come out of gang members because they understood loyalty and they understood authority than entitled pastor's kids. So there's an aspect that when we shifted even out of law enforcement, some of the the crises that we would jump into with people were just as detrimental because if you see it in the spirit, there was no difference. And so that intensity doesn't go away. So yes, we do have a, a perspective with law enforcement. It really is a perspective we should all have because we should see the dying world and not be entitled, well, I don't see any of this, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Because if we're supposed to take dominion over the earth and we're not supposed to escape it and leave it, then we're here to own it, which means you have to transform it. And you can't transform it if you don't know what you're transforming. So you have to see what it is that you're transforming. And, and a lot of people just want to stick their head in the sand and say, there's nothing we need to transform. There's a program for that. And so we're good. And not recognizing what actually needs to be transformed. You know, what's interesting is, is in the street, you would see people have problems and there was no, you wouldn't see people trying to present like they've got it together. It just mm-hmm. is what it is, right? People have their issues, they're open about it. You talk to people, first time you ever met them, worst moment of their life, and they're pouring out their, their heart and all their problems. And what's, could be, what can be so dangerous about religion is that all those same things are happening, but people have this tendency or this, this uh, pressure to make it look a certain way, which causes you to just suppress that stuff and really not let it out so you can deal with it. Right? There's the, like this danger of, well, I've got a, I, I mean, I've talked to people in the street. Man, I can't go in there. Mm-hmm. I can't go in there. I don't got my stuff together. And I'm like, man, no, mm-hmm. no, that is so backwards. So when we had pastors telling us as, as new, new people in the, the, the church pastor community, mm. Right, we're coming with this realness of like things are going on and we got to deal with them. (laughs) Things are going on and we have to deal with them, and we're willing because we're not playing games and lives could be at stake. Right? There's people we've counseled that I I can honestly say I don't know if some of them would be alive sitting here right now because of the overwhelming pressure. And so to have another minister hear about things getting exposed because we're wanting to expose them, say, well, there's sin over there. I grieve over that because I'm like, how dangerous of a situation is being created over there where people feel like we can't have any sin over here. Mm -hmm. So when I'm dealing with my porn addiction, Mm -hmm. I can't go talk to my pastor. We tried that. And they said, you know what? Just, it's not a big deal. You don't need to worry about it. This isn't a big deal. And it was, gonna, it was going to kill me and her. Whoa. Yeah. It was not a big deal. And this is not your issue, bride, wife. I will pray with him. You need to leave. This is none of your business. He doesn't need to tell you about that. So then he's alone, isolated, and I'm in a fetal position trying to figure out how the heck we're going to do this because I'm hearing it all in the spirit. Right? Bride, this is not for you and, and not having to walk through that. So in, in those times, I was just thinking to myself, what a wrecking ball we probably were because we're just coming in passionate, young, 
uh, newly saved, in a sense, into a a longevity, a long-standing church, established, and we're like, no, you don't understand. People are telling us. People are dying, and they're like, no, no, nobody's not. Just shh. And we're like, you know. You can't, they t- she was told, you can't talk about pornography at women's Bible study. Don't do that. <laughs> okay. I mean, but, how dangerous. But here's the thing. I would have people email me privately. I would have them come up to me and say, what you said empowered me, and I need to talk to you because it's happening in my home, and I don't know what to do. While I was being reprimanded, you're not allowed to talk about that. So I had to battle. You aren't allowed to do it. Now, granted, you guys, you guys understand I'm talking about religion. Religion says you can't do this, and you've got the realness of life saying you need to do this, and you're stuck in the same question my, da- my dad said. We're, you're going to lose everything. And you're like, Yahweh said, I need to expose it. But if you do, and you're like this, because you're being told by your authority that you're doing it wrong, it's going to ruin everything. And, but you got people dying and bleeding and spending the night at your house. And, you're, and it's real because you've created it. I mean, that was the most horrible thing is we created an environment for people to say what was wrong. So then all this stuff started coming out about what was wrong. And we were like, what are we supposed to do? Because we have an entire community thinking we are awesome. And we're not. And so what are we supposed to what are we supposed to do with that? And so So that's why in this family we talk about pornography. Or that's why in this family we don't have any problems talking about those things because we want it to be a safe environment for uh, us to be able to, not because we want to stay there. Right? It's not like there's this is grace and we just love this stuff. It's so that we can get into the mess, put his blood on it, and actually live a transformed night life, not a fake life. Right? Because you can walk transformed. Can you boldly say now that it is possible for a man to walk free? Yeah. Absolutely. But it costs. Like, it is, it is, I, I thank God that she had discernment and the Holy Spirit told her to come down the hallway and she caught me because I would have never, I was so in bondage. I would have never told anybody ever because I was so covered in shame. I'm like, I can't ever tell anybody that I have this addiction. I will die with this. I would, I was. And that was absolutely what was going to, it was going to drive me to suicide. Yahweh showed me that. This is where the enemy fathering you was going to end up. And I saw a picture of myself with the gun to my head. And... Thankfully, I had this woman who had discernment to walk down a hallway and it got exposed. One of the roughest parts of our marriage, right? Just rough, just excruciating. And that's why I'll tell, I'll tell my boys in this house we talk. You want to know out of the countless young people that have killed themselves, when I would go talk to their family, they would say, I had no idea. I wish they would have just talked to me. Mm-hmm. So when we bring something up, right, as, as a family and people say, well, why does it got to be so intense? And why do we have to talk about this again? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because 
Until you, you stand over a 20-year-old female's body who sat in front of a train mm-hmm. because she was so ashamed of whatever, or her boyfriend broke up with her, or the young man who just shot himself, or the person that's hanging from the tree mm-hmm. that we got to cut down mm-hmm. who's 18, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And every time, the family, the friends, I wish they would have just talked to me. They say that every time. Mm-hmm. Right? So... And, and to think that that's just something out there mm. is like there, the pressures of life, the opportunities to sell out, all the, all the things that we all deal with, the things that our children are dealing with mm-hmm. is crazy. Mm-hmm. And we have, you know, if you just go through life thinking like everything's good, you know, hey, you see somebody on Friday, Sunday, once a week, and you just think because we just go through life that you're going to see them again. You know, and then all of a sudden something unexpected happens. It's like, man, I wish they would have just talked to me. Well, we have to create an environment for that to happen. I was so thankful with the pornography thing. We had, we were dying and we had to talk to somebody and we ended up talking to this couple and I'm so thankful for this moment. I'll never forget it. We're crying. We're dying. We're like, okay, we're going to tell them what's going on, right? We're going to tell them this crazy, it's destroying our marriage. I'm dealing with pornography. I've been addicted. And they just started laughing. They were like laughing and clapping and, oh, it's great news. And we were just like confused. What are you laughing at? We were just extremely confused. And I'm so thankful for that moment because they just laughed and because they understood now it's exposed and now you're going to be able, Yahweh's going to be able to heal you through that. And they started walking us through that process. And I'll never forget that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They said, this is the best, this, this is the best day. And even though it doesn't feel like it, it was because it was there. It was just hidden. And so it was the beginning process of walking out. What does that look like? I mean, if one of these, the, one of the questions isn't, but I would love to be able to dive into how did you walk out pornography addiction? Because you can put any addiction on that. Could be drugs, could be whatever. How did you walk that out? What was your process? How did you get down to the roots? How did you rewire your neurons? How did you go from, how did you stop the thought? I mean, if you're addicted to something from the age of six, there's some neurons that have to get rerouted. How did how did you reroute? How did you do it with a safe place with your wife? How did you stop it? How did you how did you talk about it? How did you you know all all of those things all come with that? And those are the things that, uh, like I said, you can be radically healed, but then you've got a walking out process. That's where community comes in, and that's what's so powerful. It's one thing to, like I said, have an altar call and say I break off shame off of you, but now go home to your wife and walk out the realness of that. How are we supposed to be intimate again? What does that look like? What, what are, how, do you, how do you untwist in his mind what's pure and what's not? And all of that was all a part of the process. And that's just something that a church in general wouldn't necessarily talk about. So in this family, that's why we talk about those things. And open with your children. A lot of people say, nope, they're too young. They don't understand. Open with your children. Somebody's going to teach them some stuff. Open with right. your children. If he was my addicted, parents didn't talk to me about any of that, but I got taught by by Playboy. You know what I'm saying? Like, do we do we want our kids? Who do we want our kids to be fathered by? Mm-hmm. Right. If the addiction started at six. How are we able to say? Well, I don't think they'll understand anything until nine. Now, you know? how how young are kids with phones now? Right. It's t- it's a hundred times easier. 
I was just looking at the other questions. How are you guys doing? Is this beneficial? Or does it feel like we're learning some heritage or a re- recent heritage of how to walk in the family? Or maybe understanding if we're crazy. <laughs> then you'll understand why we're crazy and passionate. Because, we, and this is what I started off with. We, I am passionate about authentic transformation. I do not want to go to a conference and hear all men deal with this. I want to hear that it's possible in his name that a man can walk free, can walk pure, can walk the way Yeshua walked, can say that, uh, that his eyes are so pure. Not only that your eyes are so pure, but that they long to be pure so that in marriage, the fullness of oneness can also be expressed. Because there's another side of it. There is obviously the sin side of it. There's breaking away from sin, right? Just so that what? You broke away from your bondage to be free so that what? There's another step. So that you can become dependent. And what does it say in the scriptures about men and women and and who owns who? There is a whole other process that we say just get free and we're not willing to walk out. What does that look like to be truly transformed, truly pure, but then also walk pure in his ways in a marriage or in a covenant or in any relationship? That could be with any addiction and having shame and being able to re-engage in a culture in a healthy way and be able to walk that out in 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 a real transformed way. We've had Christians tell us before, give us sex advice. Oh, you know what we do? It makes our sex life great. We just watch, we just involve porn <gasps> into it. What, what is R- Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, if I, if, if I want to involve pornography in our intimacy, I'm, I'm being conformed to the world. I'm not going to be trans, transformed by the renewing of my mind, and I'm not going to discern what is the will of God. What's the perfect will of God for our intimacy? Right? I'm, I'm going to be prohibited from that. <laughs> now, this is kind of a, just a side, uh, just a little side teaching. <laughs> okay. I am so floored by the grandbabies. Yes, to what Missy said. The grandbabies are way better than sons and daughters. <laughs> she does. She'll be like, you're not supposed to talk to Nana on Fridays. I'm like, um, that's for you. They can talk to me whenever they want. <laughs> No, but Taylor said that she is feeling like she uh, wants to read the law. And so there are things in the law that would blow your mind. Okay, so one of them, there is a law about sexual relations. Is this okay? When you're, when the woman is, I don't know how else to say it, but on her period. That you are not to have sexual relationship. Now, you could see that and be like, that was done away with, right? Because we, we, we learned at our last pastor's conference about sex that men need, to, men need it every two days or else they're going to cheat on you. Okay, so I'm going to be honest. When, when, when we were going through what we went through, somebody actually said to me, listen to this. This is Christian advice, you guys. We're dying He's, he's addicted to pornography. Before I even showed up on the scene, remember, I'm the Porsche. Addiction came in way before this Porsche showed up. 
okay? But guess what happened? We go in for advice and they ask me, what are you not doing in the bedroom for him? How am I supposed to work through that? When the authority... Which, which implies, so stupidly, implies... That I'm not that, that whole problem was because of something she wasn't doing and I'd never had a problem before. How dumb is that? Because when you get married, the wife, you know, will probably break your addiction if you're... <laughs> Stupid. But I didn't know. This is an authority figure. And I'm immediately starting the process of trying to figure out what outfits I need to get. I'm completely, tra- I'm completely shifting who the Porsche was that he spoke over. It's now like a, I'm a trying Porsche to- trying to be a used car. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. But then I, but then, <laughs> but then, but then, now come on, we're, we're, we're healed now. But in those moments, oh, yeah. in those moments, I'm thinking, you lied. You said I was a Porsche. Now I don't believe I'm a Porsche. Now I don't know my keys. I don't know the name of my, I don't know I'm new. I don't know, I'm, I think I am a used car and I think he made me that way, right? So now we're going at, so anyway, so we're going at each other and all that stuff's happening. So, so, the law, okay? So the law has this because we're taught things like, well, a man, you need to, or else there's gonna be problems. Well, the law does that on purpose because it's a beautiful thing that, that it's, it, it allows your marriage to be pulled. It's like a fast. When you pull away from, it allows for your marriage to be renewed, and there's a yearning towards when you fast in that manner. So that, because blood is alive, it's a it's beautiful, beautiful thing. When you read the Torah, you can just think, what? But because blood is alive, there's an aspect of it that allowing that life to not be um, touched. And what then happens is, is that there's a yearning during that time where you are fasting so that when you come together, there is an intimacy and a newness. It's like a baptism every single month. The law is beautiful. And we've treated it as something that is like, we've done away with that. And then we replace it with going to a conference on trying to get help where you hear about stuff like that, that just gets ingrained into a marriage and will absolutely just ruin the way that we look at things. And that's why I said it would be detrimental if we did not cling to someone that has walked out a transformed life on how to honor a bride, honor a wife, walk in purity and in that intimacy. Because we're not, as, as a culture, we're not being taught these things. I don't see fathers teaching sons about these things. I'm not seeing wives talk about, we're not talking about these things. We're definitely not talking about them corporately. And so we're getting lost and we're getting tossed to and fro because of we're allowing another culture to raise us. So anyways, that was a side teaching. So when you read about that in the law, don't freak out. It's awesome. There's like this ripple effect. that That's why we're so passionate about the culture and the environment and the truth of how Yahweh is. People could know who he is and be totally mistaken about how he would go about things. When we create an environment for things to be exposed at a root level so they could start to be healed and transformed, 
we I would I would have conversations with people in the body at the time that would say that whatever was being exposed, right? It was always there. It was there every Sunday, right? <laughs> every day of the week it was there, but all of a sudden because we could see it now, people were demanding that certain people be kicked out of the church. To one to one point where a guy said, this female needs to be kicked out because she's a threat to the marriages. And, and this is where it's like, okay, how, how, how would Yeshua address that? Well, he wouldn't say, be in fear for your marriage because there's this threat. He would say, just be confident about your own marriage. Right? Don't focus on that. Focus on your marriage. Right? That's how Yeshua is. Mm-hmm. Yeshua, I could tell you right now, would not, you know, uh, Eric has some issue he's been dealing with his whole life, and all of a sudden we know about it, and we're just going to excommunicate him from the family. Right? How, who was Yeshua? Who did he hang out with? Right? He didn't come for, for uh, perfect. He didn't come for perfect people. <laughs> right? <laughs> Is 820. How do you guys feel? Are you guys ready? Are you guys going to be like Spartans the next time we preach? You're just going to be like, yeah, right? You're going to be all fired up, right? You know what I think? I think as you walk out your faith with him and you walk out your, your, the life, the resurrection life that he's given you, if the way, the things that he does in your life, you should just get more and more fired up and more hungry and more like you should, it should, it should, it's not just for you, right? Everything we've been talking about, it's not just for your own salvation. It's for a purpose, right? It's, it's for a purpose in somebody else's life. When you, when you, when you walk out that testimony and your testimony continues to grow, it will take you somewhere, and it's going to influence other people, right? So, I mean, if anything, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is we've had a lot of people tell us too, like, oh, man, you guys are so intense. Like, what? Calm down. No. I'm not. I hope I get more. I hope I'm 10 times more no. intense five years from now. Yeah. If I start calming down and I'm not as excited or fired up or I'm not spitting and you're like, hey, you haven't yelled at us in a while. <laughs> like something's going on. Something's wrong. <laughs> but isn't that amazing to be able to have that as a wife? That he wants to be, he's saying as the father of the house, I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to be stagnant. I'm going to be more fired up five years from now than now. How powerful is that for some of us that are in relationship that are like, you know, you have somebody who you're in a relationship with and it's like, when it's supposed to be glory to glory, at the end of the day, that is our relationship with Yahweh. It should be more passionate, more on fire, more intense in five years from now than now. And if there's something that's complacent or just something's, it's just something, something got off here. We're not being fathered then by him because he is after fullness and oneness and fullness is going to keep on going. And so basically, if, you're, if your uh, life is not a wild ride, then I don't know what table you're sitting at. Especially in this family. 
right? Because we, we do want more. We do want more than religion. We do, we want relationship. And how, any, uh, raise your hand if you have a relationship. I'm not talking about marriage. I'm just talking about uh, you have a relationship with someone. That is not just a, right? There's iron sharpens iron. There's communication. There's love language. There's there's just, it just keeps going and going and going. That should be like that with him. And so any relationship should continually be something that is, you, you don't, uh, you should not be bored. If you're bored, there's a problem. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomairsflag.org. Thank you.